This is an ABC podcast. G'day, it's Clint Jasper with you. It's lovely to have your company as we join our reporters exploring a big country. This week we're dropping in on harvest time at a tea tree plantation. It's part of a family business that's growing the plants for their essential oils to make soaps and other skincare products. We'll head into the paddock with a breeder of some very cute sheep. The woolly-faced baby doll breed are highly sought after among hobby farmers and make pretty attractive lawnmowers too. And we'll meet the former nurse and police officer who are in their very first year as farmers, running their own mango orchard and adjusting to life on the land. We've been living by the motto this season that uh, farming is an easy if, um, if it was easy everyone would do it. So we accept that um, you know, there are going to be some, some challenges and a lot of them are things that are completely out of our control. But overall, we're pretty excited. We've got fruit on the tree. I think um, if you're farming, um, that's, that's what you want to see. You want to have product available, good looking fruit, and I'm um, going to be ready soon. Gearing up for harvest, we'll meet those farmers who are getting ready and getting excited about picking their first crop of mangoes. That is coming up. First today, we're starting with a warm cuppa. This one's been made by a master tea blender using some unique ingredients. They're the byproducts from a fruit farm that would have otherwise gone to waste. Eliza Burlidge has the story. So when we got it blended, yeah, Belinda, who blended it for us in Adelaide, yeah, she said recommended 100 degrees, which is essentially what, you, when your kettle boils, that's what it is. So, yeah, so we'll try it today. When Sue Hewitt boils the kettle and brews a pot of tea, she's infusing flavours that have been sourced from right here on her farm in South Australia's Riverland. So our idea was, as with all of our products, just try to use everything that we produce currently on the block. So instead of thinking that we need to expand and have massive properties everywhere, how can we maximise what we've already got, minimise the water usage? So the next obvious thing for us, because we grow grapes, figs and quinces was we have a thousand fig trees, so there's a lot of fig leaves. So we're like, okay, let, why don't we try some fig leaf tea? So that's what we did. We got a, um, I did use a lady in Adelaide called Brewed by Belinda. We sent her some, a test, some dried fig leaves and said, what do you think would go with it? And she blended it with organic rose petals and lemongrass. And now we have our tea, fig leaf and rose tea. Hello, I'm Eliza Burlage and I've sat down for a cuppa with Sue Hewitt. Sue has a history of coming up with ideas for new products to use up the excess produce from her family's fruit block. This fig leaf tea is her latest innovation and she's happy with the result. It's kind of a mix of very refreshing, you know, as soon as you open the bag, the fig leaves have a very coconut or vanilla scent and that's what you can smell. I think, the first thing. When you drink it, you still get a bit of that, but then you get the rose and the lemongrass coming through as well. And so what were you doing with the fig leaves before that? Well, they're obviously helping the fig tree grow, <laughs> but nothing. Fig leaves in general, I mean, they're used a little bit in Australia, and I think increasingly more by, more by chefs. So say if you're baking a cake or panna cotta, it really infuses that coconut flavour through the you're baking. Some chefs make fig leaf oil. We've done some fig leaf powder, which is great in ice cream, divine in ice cream actually. But 
really essentially we weren't doing anything with the fig leaves apart from growing figs on the trees. So it's just another extra, you know, opportunity for us to tell the story of figs. For someone who hasn't seen fig leaves before, what do they look like on the tree at first? Ah, oh, they like a big hand actually on the tree. So depending on which fig leaves you pick from, the Smyrna's, the, so that's our white figs, they will generally have say three or four fingers and they're like a grass green. And actually some of the color is retained but it does go a little bit darker when you dry it. The black Genoa's, are a bit smaller fig leaf and they can have a few more fingers on them. So we just, I mean, we literally just picked them off the tree, sun-dried them and then sent them to Belinda and say, do your magic. And that's what she's done. Adelaide tea maker Belinda Hellier says she enjoys working with other small businesses like Miss Heward's to develop unique brews. She says she actually had a few ideas on how to use the fig leaves. I was inspired straight away to sort of start playing with them and initially created a different blend than we ended up going with. I, I used some of her Riverland dried oranges initially to play with the blend. And then, yeah, when we revisited the project, um, we ended up creating the tea blend that we have today, which I think is a perfect blend for showcasing the very unique flavour of the fig leaves. Have you used before or are you planning to use other parts of plants in future teas? Yeah, I think it's always great to keep an open mind about what's possible and to think outside the box. We're currently collaborating with a winery in the Coonawarra region. We have already created a custom blend for them. So the Cabernet grapes, we've taken the leaves and created a blend to sort of give a grape and wine feeling, but through tea. So that's been a really interesting collaboration. Yeah, using the type, the part of that plant that's not typically used um, in that way. And yeah, open to always kind of thinking about things differently and using other parts of plants. When tea blending, there are sort of typical parts of herbs and teas that are used for creating tea blends, but sometimes it's always good to think about doing it differently. For example, you can use the stems of tea, um, you can use the buds of tea, you can use the leaves, you can all use different parts of the tea plant itself, as well as herbs. Like sometimes you're using like the tops of the herbs, other times it's the roots. So I guess it's good to always just inform yourself about the benefits of the different types uh, parts of the plant and then yeah keeping an open mind about what's possible and being creative so yeah so these are our trees so we've only got the Kensington pride variety these big healthy 30 year old mango trees on this property in the Ord Valley region of Western Australia's Kimberley have been here a lot longer than Beck McMullen and her husband Luke so they're sort of a peak yield very big trees as you can see the couple took over this established mango farm about eight months ago. And while the pair love mangoes and the outdoor lifestyle of farming, running an orchard has been a steep learning curve. My husband and I have no experience in the mango industry other than being very keen consumers of mangoes uh, in the past. This opportunity came up to buy this property sort of end of last year and, and we ran with it and we're learning as we go and it's fabulous. G'day, I'm Steph Sinclair. I'm visiting the McMullins at River Farm Mangoes on the banks of the Ord River, just outside of Kununurra. 
Becoming mango farmers has been quite a career change for Beck, who was working as a nurse, and Luke, who was a police officer. Look, it is really different. I think us personally as well, we've always been really active people. Um, we've always really enjoyed being outside, as well as being as a police officer. Um, I'm also an arborist, um, so uh, I'm used to working sort of amongst trees and outdoors as well. And um, I think we both saw this as a challenge and we both, as, as sort of scary as the challenge might be, we both um, were also really excited by the, uh, the opportunity to take it on and, and go with it. And I guess we do sort of have that safety blanket a little bit. Some farmers aren't so lucky, but um, look, if, if it all falls over for us, um, we've got something we can sort of go back to. And so I think that probably made the decision a little bit, um, a bit easier. So your first season in, how's it going? Yeah, so we are probably another week away from picking our fruit. Um, some growers in the region are ready to rumble. Um, I know that some other regions in Australia have, have started, so we're not far behind. We're ready to go. We're um, excited and we're in hopefully for a really good season. I think um, there's been some strange weather events that have led up uh, this season. Uh, we had a very, very strong flowering through um, late July, August. Um, a lot of growers in the region were very excited by the possibility. But then some um, hot weather uh, has caused a lot of that fruit not to set or the flowers to fall, which is a shame. But I think um, we've been living by the motto this season that uh, farming isn't easy. If, um, if it was easy, everyone would do it. So we accept that um, you know, there are going to be some, some challenges and a lot of them are things that are completely out of our control. But overall, we're pretty excited. We've got fruit on the tree. I think um, if you're farming, um, that's, that's what you want to see. You want to have product available. Um, so really, we're happy in that sense that we got fruit on the tree. It's good-looking fruit and um, it'll be ready soon. What have been the main learnings that you've taken away from year one so far? We have gone into this, you know, very green. Um, in the scheme of things. Um, although I've got the background as an arborist in trees and stuff like that and working outdoors, in terms of um, being involved in the agriculture industry, I'm very green. And it's been a lot of learning and a lot of learning quickly. But when we were going down this path and as difficult as it has been initially, I think um, those difficulties like sort of pale in comparison to the fact that if we saw someone else take this opportunity and it wasn't us uh, and someone else really like living our dream I guess um, because it is our dream um, we are living our dream that would have been a, a much harder pill to swallow than the sort of difficulties we're having day to day at the moment and we've got some um, excellent mentors we've got a very supportive community that that want to support us and um, and help us through those those difficulties that we're you know we're learning every day um, and we learn as things crop up pardon the pun but you know as things happen that's when we're learning it's not you can't read this from a book you know you have to learn and listen and and look at previous practices and look to the future and, and evolve your thinking. The skills that you have in the police force and in healthcare as a nurse, have you been able to bring any of those to farming? I've certainly been able to bring patience. Yeah. <laughs> I've certainly been um been very, very patient. And I guess probably yeah, stress management and able to work in difficult conditions for long hours. They seem to sort of be things that are happening in both of the, the industries at the moment. But um, we've also had to use a little bit of verbal judo, verbal communication in some heated dinner table talks every so often <laughs> as well. What about you, Beck? Yeah, look, I think that, you know, both of our careers have been very, you know, we've had to be very methodical, very open to educating ourselves on best practice. And, and I think in a way that is transferable to farming because you know you, in healthcare and policing and the law you do have to know what is the right 
and wrong thing to do. And, um, you know, while it's not so cut and dry in farming, I mean, I think the, the main bonus of farming versus our previous careers is that mangoes um, don't talk back to you. <laughs> but I mean, like, the, the, like we, we're also accountable at the end of the day. Like we're accountable in our, our other jobs, but we're also accountable at the farm. Um, if we're uh, sending fruit to market, we're responsible for that fruit. So we're accountable for sort of growing the best product, packing it in the best method, um, transporting it in um, the best way um, so that it's really the, the best product at the end of the day. That sense of accountability has changed in what we're accountable for, but we're still always accountable for actions. What does success look like on the mango farm? What's the dream here? Yeah, well, we, we've chosen this, this lifestyle. So I guess for success for us is that we get to continue it, but also um, we want to have a family that grow up in this lifestyle. We see it, you know, on our neighbouring properties and around the valley, um, you know, these kids that are growing up here, um, they're not sitting on their iPads, they're riding quad bikes around and they're out in the garden and they're climbing trees and they're, they're just being kids in this amazing backyard and they're living just such an amazing life. But that's what success looks like to us, is continuing on this, um, this legacy of this great farm. What would your advice be to people in a similar position to you who have had the dream of buying their own property and starting farming? Would you encourage others to do the same? Absolutely. I think that if you've got an opportunity, run with it. Yeah, just do it. Take in, you know, your surroundings, you know, whatever area you're going to be in. You're going to have some very established farms, um, some very knowledgeable people and a lot of resources. So take the time, listen, learn, um, and take it all in and, and really assess where you want to be, what your, your end game is and how you want to be living your life. And if that outweighs what you're currently doing, then absolutely do it. Beck and Luke McMullen, who are taking on their first mango harvest at their orchard on the Ord River in WA's Kimberley region, where they spoke to reporter Steph Sinclair. You can read more about Beck and Luke's transition to farming, head online to the RN homepage and look for A Big Country under the Programs tab. I'm Clint Jasper with you on RN, still to come a sheep breeder whose animals tick all the boxes for cute and fluffy, and how buying a tea tree plantation helped a family realise a long-time dream. It's harvest time at this native tea tree plantation, a true family operation on the New South Wales mid-north coast. When Alan and Jane Hutchison purchased this 60-hectare property covered in 20-year-old native tea tree plants back in 2018, it put them on the path to fulfilling a long-held dream. We've had a, a contract manufacturing business for, at that stage, 25 23, 25 years. And one of the things we always wanted to do was to create our own brand. And this opportunity came up where, where it's totally vertically integrated, where we're actually producing oils from all these wonderful botanical plants that we're planting. Um, and we're using them in our, our manufacturing facility and making our wonderful products using those oils. G'day, I'm Keely Johnson. I'm visiting the Hutchison's freshwater farm near Seal Rocks. For almost three decades, Alan and Jane have operated a business making soap for big companies. Now, buying this tea tree farm has given them the opportunity to finally start their very own skincare line, using essential oils produced from plants here on the property. 
we've worked probably for four years on on cleaning it up and starting the the, the plantation um, with the regeneration and while that was going on we were also planting um, a whole heap of botanical plants like mostly lemon myrtle but we've planted out other botanicals like kunzia and saltbush. At the moment we're working on preparing uh, an area for about 4,000 Melaleuca ericifolia which is a lot of people know that as Rosalina and we see that as one of our new um, oils and new products that we'll launch in probably 12, 18 months time. Al studied food science at university and later did a horticulture course. He says the farm allows him to put his skills into action. The knowledge of, of plants and, and propagation and, and all those things that I learnt in that urban horticulture course, you know, have played out um, quite a few years later, but um, in, in this farm. And it's great for me because I love it, because I grew up on a farm and, and, and I missed it when we didn't have it. And, um, and so to be able to come up here, I, I get away up here as much as I can. The plants are mechanically harvested and processed on the farm. So this steam is coming out of that pipe there, going along here and then through this hose that's connected to the bottom of the, the bin. The essential oils are extracted from the trees and poured into large barrels, which Al transports about three hours south of the property to his factory in Sydney. The business is a family affair involving their children and their children's partners. The Hutchison's son-in-law, Grant Dempsey, oversees contract production, as well as that of about 40 of their own products that incorporate essential oils from the farm. So basically we, we receive the essential oils um, at, the, at the factory in, um, on the northern beaches. We basically get allocated to the products and we process them and, yeah, and they, they basically leave us shelf ready. The Hutchison's goal was always to get their products on supermarket shelves. Their son, Sam Hutchison, who is the business's sales director, helped make that happen, but says competing with global brands is a constant battle for the family. It was a difficult process, you know, getting in there and getting in the door and, you know, day to day it's, it's full on, and, but I guess the hardest thing is, is staying there. Like being a small business and being at the mercy of huge businesses is hard. It, it's stressful and we, you know, rely on Australians to go in there and pick quality Australian-made products, you know, over mass market stuff that, that's made overseas. Sam's wife, Annie Hutchison, says getting their locally made message across is difficult. There's no way to say, if we're made locally, you know, you can't little put a gold sticker on the yeah. your local Woolies and say, yeah, we're close by. <laughs> but um, I think once people understand that, they're so um, much more likely to give you products a try, which is nice. The Hutchison's daughter, Amy Dempsey, is a business manager and said ensuring their company is sustainable was really important. So we have body washes, we have bars, soaps, we've got conditioner bars, shampoo bars. We've recently just launched our glass bottles, refillable glass bottles, and our pouches, refillable pouches. Um, these save about 80% of plastic, so when you can refill it, your bottle t twice with them. It's so important for us to be sustainable. It's like, it's, yeah, it's really important. Hand wash also comes in clear glass and plastic bottles, which can be recycled, and online orders are sent in plastic-free packaging. And recycling is just as important on the farm. 
once you've fin we've finished cooking the, the tea tree or the lemon myrtle or whatever, um, we have um, the, the biomass, which we compost, and then we put back onto, onto the plantation. Um, and so we reuse it. And we just want to tread lightly, you know. Um, one of the things I don't want the farm to be is uh, an immaculately manicured place um, where nothing's out of place. There you go, my darling. Oh, <laughs> very good. When Jane isn't helping on the farm, she's doing the finances. She says family is at the heart of their farming business. Having our kids come on board has just been fantastic. Their partners have also been able to join our business, bringing a completely different set of skill sets. So we've all got our own areas that we work in. So we're very lucky that we're able to incorporate the family into the business. When Deb Royans decided to start breeding Southdown baby doll sheep, she didn't realise they would take off in popularity. I was looking around for a breed of sheep. I've had sheep before, probably for about 20 years now, um, mostly merinos and dorpers. So I was looking for a really unique looking little breed, one that I could get into um, showing um, as a stud and one that we could bring through the colour because it's really something we was really very interested in. So we looked around and um, saw this breed. There wasn't very many of them around at that time. And uh, the name Baby Doll Southdown wasn't official at that time. They were just called Southdown. And um, so I thought I was looking for a really small, docile, easy to handle uh, animal that um, would appeal to the public and uh, to the wider market. So we went for Baby Dolls. Mm -hmm. um, after a lot of research, that's what we, we picked up. Hello, I'm Ellie Honeybone. I'm chatting to Deb Royans at her picturesque property at Pinjara, about 80 kilometres south of Perth, where she and her husband Jeff run Tanja Baby Doll South Down Stud. While these sheep are incredibly popular right now among hobby farmers for their very cute appearance, Deb says the breed has been in Australia for quite some time. Being a British breed, um, they came over to Australia in the 1790s. They had the wool on their faces. So they got woolly faces, woolly legs, um, wool on their ears, wool around the bridge of their nose. And that's what's carried on. In Australia, we mostly breed animals that have got clean faces and clean legs to fit our Australian conditions. So the baby dolls managed to survive all this time with the management of the woolly faces and, and that, which is what people want these days. Uh, they're looking at something a little bit different and, uh, and they don't seem to mind it. She's now become the only registered breeder of black baby dolls in Australia. I'm probably the only one who's got to this stage, uh, the first one, to, to, to make the purebred coloured registered stud uh, baby doll south down in Australia at this time. But there's plenty of others um, coming up through the ranks. So what exactly are south down baby doll sheep used for? Deb explains that in addition to meat, baby dolls are a highly sought-after family pet, hobby farm addition and vineyard lawnmower. So they go as a stud. So a lot of people are registered in as a as stud these days. Um, a lot of new breeders are interested in, in being a stud breeder. 
So that makes up most of our market. And then they've got wineries and vineyards. They're looking for a small um, animal, one that's um, compact but can't reach the vines. So the baby doll being only under the 60 centimetres, 60, 62 centimetres, fits that, that perfectly for them because they're not a very tall breed of a miniature sheep. And um, then we've made up with uh, pets and uh, tourism. A lot of people want to have them to showcase them at their tourist and accommodations. And then there's the hobby farmers, um, small markets, people just, uh, small acreages wanting a small little lamb, small little sheep that they can handle easily on, on five acre lots. This breed could easily take on the title of Australia's cutest sheep with fluffy old man faces and knee-high furry Ugg boots occurring naturally when they are lambs. Deb calls them the Benjamin Button sheep and also the Labradors of the sheep world. So I originally had horses. Um, so I had horses when I was younger and grew up and had them through my married life. And um, just thought, nah, we'll get into sheep because it's a more versatile breed, more interesting, um, more opportunities there for us at the time. And yeah, no, I just love it. It's a, it's a great, this is a great little breed. I'm really happy with it. And it's very docile, easy to handle, and uh, they're just fantastic. A little breed to, to, to go on with. Deb Royens, who breeds a variety of sheep known as Southdown Baby Dolls. And you can see just what they look like with a video of those sheep and some new little lambs. You'll find it online at the RN homepage. Look for A Big Country under the Programs tab. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening and bye for now. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.